is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Very good afternoon to you. It is great to have you along on this little special day. ABC gives Radiothon Day and shortly you're going to find out how you might be able to contribute some fresh produce to help families in need in the lead up to the festive season this year. You can do it that way. You can contribute with a cash donation. And I know a lot of you have been from rural and regional parts of Western Australia. I've been checking the ABC Perth homepage, the webpage, just to see how the donations are going. It's just over $208,000. The goal is $250,000 and... um, I reckon we're going to go past that very soon. If you want to donate by the phone, you can do that too. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. That is the number to call to make a donation. It's great to see some of those rural and regional towns and areas coming up. So I know you are doing your bit where you can. So thank you so much for that. Uh, shortly catching up with the CEO of Food Bank, just to let you know about those sort of partnerships with some of the farmers and agricultural businesses that actually do make those contributions on a regular basis. In some cases, those um, partnerships have been going for years now. So maybe you can be part of that too. You'll find out how shortly. Also, the CBH groups, the state main uh, grain handler group, uh, Jason Craig from the group is going to be along just after half past 12 today to explain how changes to grower contracts should make these contracts a little more equitable, uh, ensure that everyone has a chance to get one because up until this point, really, from what you've been telling me, that isn't the case and you really aren't in with a running at all by the sounds of things. So Jason Craig along just after half past 12 to explain some of the changes that were announced just yesterday. This is the Country Hour. It is seven past 12 and the free trade agreement between Australia and India has taken a step forward with the Australia-India Economic Cooperation and Trade Agreement passing through Federal Parliament this week. Alongside it was the Australia-United Kingdom Free Trade Agreement, which is the first full trade agreement the UK negotiated from scratch following Brexit. The agreements are not in effect yet. They still need to go past through the Indian and British parliaments. But once they're active, what WA produce products might we see shipped to India. Susan Hall is from the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development and she says live WA lobsters will soon be on their way to India. I'd say we have a a warm relationship with India. Um, We definitely see India as a small but important emerging market and that was definitely demonstrated at a statewide level by the Invest in Trade WA mission that we participated in in July, which is the the largest trade mission that Western Australia has ever taken to an overseas market. So we had more than 110 delegates as part of that. Yeah, that was um, that was pretty big. I remember hearing about that at the time. But has there been a flow-on effect from that? Is there um, you're hearing about particular interest in certain products or anything like that? Uh, absolutely. One of the the key uh, products that the free trade agreement once it enters into force um, will benefit will be fresh and frozen rock lobster. Um, So I guess the mission was uh, a platform for both government and industry to have a better understanding of the opportunities for for the Indian market. So Mm. in our case, for WA, 
agri-food and beverage products into India, um, the opportunity to promote what we have from Western Australia and identify relationships where we can look at increasing this trade and market access. Um, trade, as you'd understand, is, is a marathon, not a sprint, but we're already seeing great commercial outcomes um, with the rock lobster in particular at this stage uh, and also seeing some other um, interest across other products like citrus and oats. I did hear that some lobster was going to start going into, I think it was some of the higher end hotels in India, uh, which is interesting because I don't think there's been any lobster at all going into India at this stage. No. So as part of the mission, we actually, um, so Deepard works with GFC to take 200 kilograms of Western rock lobster to India, which we showcased uh, at a, a Invest in Trade WA event in Chennai. It was the first rock lobster ever um, imported into India from Australia. So we were really excited to be able to facilitate that. Uh, and since then, as you'd be aware, GFC have signed a, an agreement with a distributor into India. So we're really excited to see that success already starting to flow. Do you know the details of that agreement in terms of quantities or anything like that? No, I think the commercial um, components of that agreement will be worked out between the distributor and um, and GFC. But we were really pleased to see the distributor visiting Perth last week, not only meeting with GFC, but also looking at other opportunities for Western Australian and Australian products. And that is quite interesting. I think you touched on uh, citrus and also oats, which are two things that we grow a fair bit of here in, in WA. Do you expect that there is uh, potentially other progress that we might see where those commodities start going into India in, in more volume than what they are? Yeah, I think so. We already exported good volume um, of oats into India. I think they're our main main import into India at this stage. Um, but I think if there's supply chain capacity, the demand is definitely there in India. Um, we also learned about there's quite a lot of interest in products like oat milk into India. So there's a great opportunity um, for Western Australia to leverage off our competitive strength there. Because the trade agreement isn't in effect yet, does that hold up some potential trade from happening? I'm thinking about oats, they're being harvested now. Is there potential where we would like to have some sort of trade happening already, but it's it's being delayed because the agreement hasn't come into effect yet? I think oats, as I said, is already a, a strong market and, and lamb, which will also see an elimination of tariff once the FTA is into force, um, is already an existing product going into India, but it would definitely make our products more competitive and really open the door for greater volumes, um, supply chain factors pending. With the premium products like, like lobster, um, they'll have a big decrease in their 30% tariff as well. So I think that they will probably be awaiting the implementation of the FTA before we start exporting any great volumes. Um, wine is another product. Mm. So what some of our, our wine products, um, premium wine products, uh, we'll see a reduction in tariffs as well. There's huge tariffs on wine into India. Um, so we'd like to see a reduction on those tariffs and the opportunity again for the high-end hotels in particular to be able to look at, at Western Australian wine being more competitive with the signing of the FTA. So quite a few industries, by the sound of it, really watching that space, waiting for this agreement to go through the processes that it has to by the sound of things. Yeah, absolutely. But I think now um, following the visit to India, we've got a better idea of, of where there is a market opportunity um, and DPIRT will continue doing some, some market identification and then looking at export market development opportunities um, with those relevant businesses 
Um, the WA government also opened an office in Chennai um, back in July as well. So we worked very closely with them to look to facilitate any trade um, and commercial outcomes. Some of the briefings we had while in market is when you think about the population of India with coming up to a, a billion people, the high net worth individual group was, sits at about 30 million people. So there's more high net worth individuals in India than there are people in Australia. So that makes a huge market for our premium products like lamb, lobster and wine. Susan Hall, she's the Manager of Investment Services with the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development and she was speaking to Joe Prendergast. 13 past 12. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. The largest hunger relief charity in Australia doesn't want anyone going hungry this Christmas or any day for that matter and is asking you if you can help out, especially if you can direct some lamb or beef to the charity. Now, Food Bank already receives very generous donations from some of the state's farmers who provide a range of fresh fruit and vegetables, which are then made available to WA families who are struggling to afford healthy food. And you're going to meet some of those farmers who've had a long association with food banks shortly. As you would have heard throughout the day today this year, ABC Gives WA is supporting Food Bank to support those who need a bit of a help, a helping hand in the lead up to the festive season this year. Can you help? Can you make a donation? If you can, head to the ABC Perth webpage and just click the links. It's pretty obvious just to make a donation online. Or that number again to ring through to the phone room, 1300 720. That's the number to call if you'd like to make a donation. And I've heard throughout the morning a lot of you are digging deep in rural and regional parts of Western Australia, and that is great to hear that you're able to make some contribution. The number again is 1300 222 720 to make a donation on the phone or just make your way to the ABC Perth website. Fran Ferreira is Food Bank's Chief Operating Officer here in WA. Fran, what just for people new to Food Bank, what is it all about? So, well, we are a food relief organisation in presence in WA for 28 years. And uh, we are happy that being selected this year for ABC, thank you, for providing uh, us a chance to receive uh, the donations of the Western Australians because we are uh, in desperate needs, uh, desperate times. Uh, we are seeing the cost of living put pressure on people and we are seeing numbers that we haven't seen before. Uh, from a grower's perspective, we were lucky to have uh, about 26 uh, constant southwest growers, the Perth markets and major retailers donating to us. But due to COVID restrictions and labor uh, challenges, for the first year, we have a severe decrease on the fresh produced donations. And, uh, and then we are... Uh, proceeding to go to areas that we haven't been before, like Carnarvon and Kananara and other regional locations to uh, increase our food intake for fresh food. And what sort of things are you looking for, Fran? So like uh, potatoes, carrots, broccoli, tomatoes, avocados, oranges, apple, pears, but we are not shy to anything. We receive uh, blueberries every now and then we receive grapes we receive um asparagus so we we don't uh, have 
any restrictions. We are really open to uh, hear the uh, challenges that the growers might have and find solutions to have the products being donated to us. And Fred, how do you get that connection then, say in the southwest of the state where you've got sort of 26 or so uh, producers who are feeding into the food bank um, effort, how are those connections made? Do you sort of go around looking for people or they can contact you? How does it work? So it's a bit of both, Belinda. Like uh, in, we have a branch in Bunbury, as we've got in Albany, uh, Pew, Geraldton and Kalgoorlie. And our amazing team there talk to the local producers and discuss about possibilities, what is available. So Bunbury, because of the proximity of the Southwest, they do an amazing work of contact them, of um, going there. But we also have a procurement team here that look in a larger scale uh, to how to procure food. So now in conversations with Carnarvon and Kananara, and, uh, and even other parts of, um, of Perth to donate. So it is a bit of contact us, uh, and then we find our way. And so further afield then, how does that work if you're going to be getting accessing produce from Kununurra or Carnarvon? How does it get to you to head office? So we have discussions with uh, also this, like freight, uh, the logistics company, and how they can bring product, products to us. We have uh, with um, pallets like chap and uh, and beans also be provided. So it's a it's a big network of how can we move uh, the products around, and um, and then we that's why the contact to us here is the way that we listen, we see what would be the challenges and constraints, and we find a solution to them. So we have like freight companies that are willing to to. Um, send the product to us as well. And I mentioned earlier that you were looking for some protein as well, sort of um, beef and lamb. Are there any partners that you've got that contribute that sort of food? Yes, absolutely. We don't have, unfortunately, partners for beef and lamb. We have a beautiful uh, arrangement with uh, West Bork and DBC, they donate to us since 2018, and it's a constant source of protein over those last five years. And with that, we're able to provide different cut of uh, pork products. We would like to have something very similar with lamb and beef, those two uh, items that we, we purchase. Right, and have you had any conversations with any of the the players here in WA? Are they progressing at all or nothing at all at this point? Nothing at all at this point, so it's a very good opportunity to to hear. Yeah, absolutely, and I think, you know, even if you've got some sort of connection with those industries and are able to assist in any way, well, Food Bank's the place to call and, and to make that happen. What do people get out of it, Fran, by contributing in this way? So this is like, there is a bit of like sometimes can go to waste and then we, we ensure that doesn't go to waste. And these are the, the three main avenues we pass to uh, people that are in need of our services and the price, it's really, it's a handling fee. It's a 20 cents per kilo of fruit and vegetables, no matter what fruit and vegetables it is. 
Uh, we also have a community kitchen where our chef Grant uh, produce meals, and those meals they have intake of fresh produce as well. And also, if come to the end, and if we can't really use in any point of format, we have an agreement with Rich Grow that we pass all the organic uh, waste to them. So it's it's fully recoverable. And what about, is there a tax benefit for growers or businesses who donate on there a regular a, basis? Certainly there is a tax benefit and we can provide the receipt that we are contesting that we receive the products from them and they can claim that. All right. And then how widely do you distribute the, the produce or the meals that are being prepared? So they go at this stage, go to our six regional or the five regional branches and here our sixth branch that is in Perth. So it goes to Perth, Bunbury, um, Kalgoorlie, Geraldton, Albany and Bunbury. We ha- have also a regional and a metropolitan mobile food bank with more than 34 locations. And from next year, we're expanding to Northwest which will be delivering as well to Newman and Kananara. Oh, it's been really interesting to talk to you, Fran. I do hope someone has been listening this afternoon who has some kind of connection uh, with beef or the lamb industry that can make something happen for you. Thank you so much for your time here today. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Fran Fahera, she is the CEO of Food Bank WA and just talking about... Well, the relationships that are already established between some of the producers here in Western Australia and Food Bank and uh, what she's looking for in the future. So you know who to call if you are able to help. It is 22 past 12 here on the Country Hour. And as Fran was saying, a lot of the fresh produce that gets sent to Food Bank's Perth warehouse actually comes from growers in the southwest of the state. Vince Grisotis is an apple producer in Manjimup, around 300 kilometres southeast of Perth. He's been donating apples for the last five years. It's relatively easy for us. You know, we sooner prefer the fruit to go to a, a useful purpose. And, uh, you know, now that we've been dealing with food bank for quite a number of years, you realise the importance and the need for what we're doing. And uh, it's nice to see that, uh, you know, we are assisting people to, to consume fresh apples. The amount we send varies, but on average would be been a, been a fortnight. And it's mainly fruit that's it's still good condition, but cosmetically has some defects, which the supermarkets and the, the, the market doesn't or prefers not to, to have. So when you say defects, is it bruised fruit or...? No, not bruised fruit. It might be, it might be a, 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 a insect bite or, a, you know, a, a defect a scratch mark, something like that. And also we, um, we send a lot of these small fruit, small fruit by, I'm talking, you know, less than 60, 64 millimetres because commercially this has very, very little value. And uh, in the last, or this year in particular, we've been sending a wider range of fruit purely because we don't have a, a, juice, a very big juice market in, um, in uh, Western Australia since Harvey Fresh ceased taking Western Australian apples for processing. So logistically, how does it work? Do you pay for them to pick it up? Or? No, uh, they, they supply us the bins, as, as you can see, and uh, they come and give us a call every fortnight or 
or every week, depending on the time of the season. They just come pick the bins up. So it comes at no cost or inconvenience to you? No, absolutely. No, and it's actually, it's, it's, um, and it's quite, uh, you know, I, I get a fruit from a range of growers who we commercially pack for, and they're quite happy to, you know, give, to, to donate some of this fruit. As I said, it's not, uh, it's not big volumes in terms of what we take out of a, a pack line, but I'm glad that it's, it's going to a useful purpose. Yes, how do you feel knowing that you're helping people out with this fruit? Oh, it's great, you know, uh, and talking to the employees of Food Bank, you know, uh, you get to realise what's happening out there in the community and there are people, particularly this time of the year, struggling uh, with the way inflation has gone. So, you know, it's, uh, you, you realise once you, you start um, helping out Food Bank the real need for it. It sounds like a bit of a no-brainer, really. What, what do you think stops some growers from doing it? it? Do you have to be of a certain size for it to be easy for you? Oh, it's just that, uh, you know, with, with apples, because we have the ability to store, we can maintain the integrity of the, of the fruit. Some of the veggie growers, it's, uh, you know, when you're having dealing with highly perishable goods, they don't have the shelf life, so it's very hard for them to, to have sufficient volume and coordinate supplies to, um, to food bank. Majumup grower Vic Grisotis talking to Georgia Hargreaves about donating undersized or marked fruit to food bank. It is not just apples that are going to this organisation. Avocados are also being donated. Susie Delroy farms at Pemberton, about 30 kilometres south of Vic's place at Manjimup. And she says even though yields are expected to be down a fair bit this year, they're still committing to sending Food Bank around 1,000 avocados a week. Look, Food Bank actually make it really easy for us. They come to our packing shed to pick up the avocados that we're donating. So at the moment we're donating about 400 kilos a week, uh, which is about sort of 1,000 to 1,500 avos, depending on size. So how long have you actually been sending it to Food Bank for? Uh, So we've been donating to Food Bank for about five years now. Certainly throughout COVID there was probably even more avocados that needed to find a home um, with so many of the food service sort of areas shut down. Yeah. The avos that you're donating, where would they go if they weren't going to Food Bank? Look, if they weren't going to Food Bank, these are avocados that haven't met our Delcado spec. They're not going to make it into food service. So if they weren't going to Food Bank, they would be coming back to our farm and getting tipped into our dams to feed our marin. So why is this something that you guys decided to start doing? We really want to minimise food waste. We put so much effort into growing these, you know, beautiful avocados. We, we don't want to see them wasted um, and we think it's a good cause. It must make you feel good too. Pemberton avocado grower Susie Delroy with Georgia Hargreaves and it's all part of raising awareness of Food Bank, the work it does, and it's part of this year's ABC Gives Radio-a-thon. Uh, you can make a donation on the phone. The phone number is 1300 720 or just go online to the ABC Perth website. There's a series of links. It's really easy, right in your face. You won't be able to miss them. 28 past 12. And an alliance of food producers and distributors is visiting Parliament House in Canberra today, calling for a national food security plan. The National Food Supply Chain Alliance represents convenience store operators, farmers, meat works, independent retailers, hospitality workers, warehouse and transport operators, and its spokesperson is Richard Forbes. We're here to talk about what we consider to be the most important issue facing Australians at the moment, and that's 
increasing food prices and the impact that that's having on households. 80% of Australians are concerned about rising food prices. Food Bank's hunger report 2022, three weeks ago, said that 2 million Australians are struggling to put food on the table and that includes 1.3 million children in Australia are food insecure. What we're facing is quite unprecedented in that we have multiple long-term threats to the food supply chain. The two long-term threats that aren't going anywhere are really severe weather events. We've seen 11 catastrophic weather events in the last three years. We have 170,000 workers that we need in the supply chain that we don't have. So we are short 170,000 workers. So no pickers for fruit and vegetables, no truck drivers to distribute food. So that's not going anywhere as well. So it's quite unprecedented. In order to try and stabilise rising food prices, what we're calling for is quite unheard of, but we need it because of changing times, and that is the establishment of a national food security plan where we look at all the disruptors, we bring them together under one strategy. We've never had a food plan. We have a renewable energy plan. We have an education plan. We don't have a national food plan. Unless we have a national food supply chain strategy, food prices will continue to increase. We believe 6 to 7% next year, putting more pressure on Australian families, and this could last even longer because we know that these severe weather events are going nowhere. The State of the Climate report came out today. They're talking about longer droughts, longer heat waves, more fire days and heavier rainfall events. So... We're here to, and we've been meeting with government and opposition, calling on them from industry to support the establishment of a national food security plan. In our view, that's the only way that we can help stabilise food prices and reduce the food shortages that you've been seeing on your shelves. Richard Forbes, speaking on behalf of the National Food Supply Chain Alliance, in Canberra, catching up with the politicians today. It is 29 to 1 here on the Country Hour. Tony Carr is here. What's making the headlines, Tony? Good afternoon, Belinda. The Deputy State Coroner says she's satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that missing Perth woman Ivita Mitchell is deceased. A coronial inquest into the disappearance of 37-year-old Ivita Mitchell in 2010 has concluded. Her husband says he last saw her near their home in Palmelia following an argument. The Government Services Minister, Bill Shorten, has ordered an urgent inquiry into contracts secured by a lobbying firm with links to a coalition MP. The nine newspapers have published leaked emails suggesting Stuart Robert secretly gave advice to Synergy 360 in 2017 and 2018 and helped the company meet senior political figures. In a statement, a spokesperson for Mr Robert says he denies the allegations. And a National Anti-Corruption Commission is one step closer to being established after the Government bill passed the House of Representatives. Labor promised ahead of the last election to create a Commonwealth body to investigate allegations of corruption. The bill will now move to the Senate, where it will be debated over the coming days. Blinda, more news at one o'clock. Tony, thank you so much for that update. It is 28 to 1. Still to come, just before the news that went off to Mount Barker today for the results of the cattle market. And also, I know you are keen to hear from Jason Craig. He's head of marketing and trading at the CBH Group, and he'll be along 
here on the Country Hour shortly to talk about some of those changes that have been made to grower contracts. Those changes start on Monday. So why the changes? What is the group trying to achieve? And already you're keen to have your say. A couple of texts already coming through. Matt at West Pithera says... Uh, CBH needs to remember they're only big boys in WA, not the world. The big traders won't move to them. So if they've bought enough grain to fill their shipping slots, they should drop out of the market instead of offering stupid contracts that no one can access. And then this from Gus, CBH grain contracts are not going to farmers trying to make contracts. It is inequitable that contracts are going to grain marketers that can design software to beat the average person to make a grain contract. Two people on separate logins trying to make contracts as soon as our time slot opens and nothing for two weeks. CBH is meant to be for all farmers, not just those that can afford a marketer. Uh, you can text through and have your say too. 0448-922-604. And shortly taking a look at the South Coast Highway and, well, in some patches it's not great and it's going to get busy, isn't it? with harvest underway and all the tourists travelling around very shortly in the lead-up to Christmas and the summer holidays. And off to the Weather Bureau very shortly. Twenty-six to one. It is off to the Bureau of Meteorology right now. Angeline Prasad with you this afternoon. Angeline, let's take around uh, a look around the Southwest Land Division. How is it this afternoon? Good afternoon, Belinda. Yes, we have got a weak front moving through at the moment, uh, sort of near the southwest coast. Um, so it's producing some some cloud, very light showers. We're not going to see much out of this this front. Um, Generally, it's going to be less than a millimetre. Maybe the far southwest coast might see a couple more millimetres. But inland um, uh, uh, inland parts of the southwest land division, it's a sunny day. Um, pretty mild out there. We've seen some cooler temperatures. So, um, however, there is an inland trough uh, that's extending from the eastern parts of the Gascoigne into the gold fields and all the way to the southeast coast. And these are likely, this trough is likely to trigger some elevated thunderstorms this afternoon. So, there is that risk of dry lightning. I'm not expecting much rainfall out of these inland thunderstorms, sort of extending from the southeast Pilbara all the way down to the Eucla coast. Um, so, generally, rainfall will be less than a millimetre. Um, however, sort of through parts of uh, central gold fields um, and maybe east of Israelite Bay, there might be a couple more millimetres. But generally, these thunderstorms are dry. So the main risk out of them is uh, that we could see some dry lightning out of these thunderstorms. Now, further north, uh, we have seen some uh, pretty uh, big totals from uh, thunderstorms. Um, so uh, in the last 24 hours, uh, central Kimberley recorded 100 to 130 millimetres of rain from the slow-moving thunderstorms. And in fact, there is a, um, a, um, 
an initial minor flood warning for the Fitzroy River. So these thunderstorms are going to be pretty slow moving and continue over the next few days into the weekend. So that risk of heavy falls will continue. Um, and uh, it's not likely to ease until probably uh, later next week. For the rest of the uh, of the state, uh, there's going to be another weak front coming through uh, tomorrow uh, across the uh, southwest uh, coast, and these might produce uh, this front might produce one or two early thunderstorms across the southwest, and then progress east during the day. So maybe a little bit more rainfall tomorrow across parts of the uh, southern and central. Um, um, sorry, southern and central parts of the Southwest Land Division, generally against sort of inland parts of the Great Southern and um, far southern central lead belt, less than a millimeter. But uh, southwest and uh, the Albany area might see a little bit more, generally one to three millimeters, or um, sort of yeah, getting up to isolated six millimeters. Um, the trough that is inland is progressing eastwards and we are going to see a ridge of high pressure extend across the southwest land division over the weekend. So uh, more sunnier conditions and milder conditions for the weekend with that ridge of high pressure coming through. And then for this afternoon, Angeline, any warnings around? So currently just that initial minor flood warning for the Fitzroy River. So minor flooding is possible at Fitzroy crossing overnight uh, Thursday into Friday. And that's if we see more slow moving thunderstorms uh, through the area. Um, today, again, sort of 30 to 60 millimetres are possible in those thunderstorms. Um, it's potential for heavier falls, maybe 60 to 80 millimetres. Um, there is no other uh, warning out currently. However, if we de- do see those heavy falls again uh, through parts of the Kimberley, we're likely to issue a severe thunderstorm warning this afternoon or evening. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Thank you, Angelina. Appreciate that. 22 to 1. And checking the rainfall figures now, this is a look back at the last 24 hours from 9 o'clock yesterday morning. And as Angeline was indicating, a lot of it in the Kimberley. So, looking at northern and eastern forecast districts in the Kimberley, Bedford Downs Airstrip 29, Billaluna 36, Broome Airport 8, Camballan 14, Dampier Downs Airstrip 6, Derby Aero 11, Derby Main Roads 11, Fitzroy Crossing Aero 55, Fossil Downs 47, Gibb River 18, Halls Creek Airport 35, Kachana 9, Kununurra 7, Lansdowne 24, Leopold Downs 83, Margaret River Airstrip 53, Marion Downs 9, Mullabulla Airstrip 22, Mount Amherst 52, Mount Barnett 18, Mount Krause 76, Mount Winifred 53, Napier Downs 82, Old Mornington Homestead 77, Siddons Creek 23, Stewart Creek 60, Troughton Island 35, Truscott 21, Warman 8, Wijana Gorge 41, Yampi Sound 11 and Yambu had 13. And in the Southwest Land Division, just one over five mils, and that was the Great Southern. Franklin had 11. 20 to 1 here on the Country Hour. And off to the markets, off to Mount Barker just before one. Tracy Kilner will go through the details of today's cattle market for you. First, though, freight companies have big concerns for the condition of the South Coast Highway from Albany to Esperance, especially now with harvest underway and more vehicles on the road during the summer holidays. The highway is listed number five on the RAC's riskiest roads in regional Western Australia. 
Michael Harding is the Managing Director of Freight Lines Group and describes the highway as a joke and disgrace, putting himself and his drivers at unnecessary risk. There's a risk there that shouldn't really be there, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I find most most transport companies, most farmers with their own trucks, most people that drive a truck and harvest do, do their utmost to be courteous and drive to the road conditions. But um, at, at the end of the day, because of the state of the road, we're putting probably ourselves at risk and others at risk. Uh, and I don't believe that, that that's necessary because the roads should be in a far better state than they are. We just seem to be patching, patching on top of patches, on top of patches, and then a week or two later, we've got the exact same issue at the exact same spot. So how concerned are you with a potential record harvest underway? Uh, massively concerned, and it's not just harvest. I mean, obviously, harvest is very busy, and we've got to be careful that we all take a deep breath and just accept it for what it is. And the worrying sign for me is that Straight after harvest, we're going to be going into record transfers to try and get the grain out for CBH as, as quickly and as efficiently as we possibly can to, to, to meet that early shipping demand. And at the same time that that's going on, you, you're going to have farmers wanting all their inputs, such as fertiliser, lime, gypsum, liquid fertiliser, all these things. All those will want to be done by sort of March, April so that the farmers can seed, put their crops in, whatever, then you'll have your top-up fertilisers after that. So it's just, uh, it doesn't stop. So, yeah, so to be driving on the roads that we are, like I'm nearly in daily up now, and I don't reckon this road has changed in 20 years. And I was just about to ask you, how do the roads compare to the other years that you've seen at the moment? Well, they're just getting slowly worse and worse because nothing is done to and then, like, when they do do some repairs to one, regularly they're done very quickly, get in, get out, and then within a month with the amount of traffic on them now, in the Albany Estuary area, there's a lot of road traffic, and we have the same issue that the same little things that are getting fixed. So what would you like to see done? Well, I'd just like to see someone, number one, take some ownership for it. Thank you, everybody. Everyone in business gets sick of hearing all the crap that government people talk. They're very, very good at making us pay more tax and putting more rules in place and getting work safe and all these other people involved to say, oh, no, you have to do this and you can't do that. You have to have three people to do this one person's job and you have to be safe and you've got to do all this. But then they don't even fix their roads. I mean, I'm just coming up daily up here now. There's a great big divot in the road and they've put up a sign Rough surface. Yeehaw. You beauty. It's been rough for the last 20 years. Yeah, looking at that patch I just drove over, I reckon within a week that's just going to be, it'll be back to gravel. What people need to realise is in within the next two or three weeks, I mean, harvest will really get cranking. And then you've got all the tourist season kicking into place with December, school holidays, caravans starting to move around and people starting to head down on holidays and everything else that they do. Um, and like, yeah, I, I don't know if you can hear that. I just went over the Dalia Bridge and it's just bang, bang. And now I'm coming up the other Dalia Hill and these patches now starting to break up. And this is only the early days of harvest. What are your drivers telling you about the conditions? Oh, the drivers have been saying the same things for years. It's not just this year. It's just really, it's a joke. 
it's just not a pleasant work environment, to be honest. I mean, this is the main highway into Eshwich that, that I'm on now. It's the South Coast Highway. It's an absolute, absolute joke and disgrace, to be honest. Michael Harding, he's the Managing Director of Freight Lines Group, talking to Sophie Johnson and Main Roads Western Australia has been contacted for comment. Quarter to one here on the Country Hour. In response to that, this text through just saying, uh, talking about the South Coast Highway, that we were told by the outgoing Liberal Agriculture Minister at a meeting in Ravensthorpe in 2017 that the road between Albany and Esperance is the only section of Highway 1 that does not have federal state funding arrangement, which might account for its dismal conditions. Thank you for that text. 0448 922604. That is the text if you want to shoot one through and have your say this afternoon. Quarter to one, and the state's main grain handler, the CBH Group, has made a few changes to grower contracts to try and make it more equitable and ensure that everyone, all growers, have a chance to get a contract. From Monday, growers who access a contract of 40 tonnes or more will need to wait two business days before they're able to get another contract. Jason Craig is the Chief Marketing and Trading Officer with the CBH Group. Jason, what is this change going to achieve? Yeah, Hi, Belinda. It's nice to be on the program. Um, look, this change will achieve um, a greater spread across contracts, across growers, so more growers will be able to access contracts. It is not a silver bullet, though, because clearly um, demand for contracts does exceed um, the supply. And so, you know, we're going to probably continue to have growers that are disappointed, but I think the distribution across growers will, I guess, be greater as a result of this. Since this marketing strategy was introduced about four weeks ago, the price of canola has dropped sort of between $100 and $150 a tonne, and the price of wheat and barley dropped around you know, $50 to $100 a tonne. How is this marketing strategy creating benefits for growers? Well, prices actually rose when we introduced this on the 5th of October, and we did see wheat prices up about 50 or $60 at that time. And we also see, saw canola, I think, around 150 to $200 it rose during that period of time. But of course, markets do change, and we are seeing, and as I said on the program last week, um, you know, with the Ukraine grain corridor remaining op- open, we are starting to see a weakening in prices um, as a direct result of that, as more grain is coming onto the market. So it's got nothing to do with your marketing strategy. It's all to do with what's going on over in Ukraine. We will always reflect international prices and clearly, you know, the market is the market. And what we are seeing is because of the corridor remaining open, we are seeing that buyers are becoming more comfortable. There is more grain on the market and therefore you're starting to see these markets turn. Isn't this strategy really just stopping growers from selling grain because your contracts are sort of raising pricing expectations for growers only a handful of growers are able to, to grab one of these contracts and the rest of them are left to contemplate selling at sort of 20 to $30 below the CBH price. So the strategy isn't holding up the market, it's sort of doing the opposite. Firstly, we don't apologise for reflecting international market parity. Uh, what other competitors want to do is their own decisions. Um, if they don't want to reflect international parity, that's up to them. But we will always look to reflect international parity. And we've been successful in October of buying more tonnes than we had 
since 2014, and we're still buying you know, good tonnage in November. But I appreciate it, growers' frustrations, and we understand that, and that's why, and that's why we're trying to uh, provide a, a method or a mechanism that fairly distributes these contracts. But it's not really matching international parity. It's it's more distorting price expectations. It's creating an artificial impossible price because it's only available to a handful. Well, it's more than a handful of growers that are getting contracts. So I want that to be quite clear. And we're probably buying more tons than anyone else on a daily basis. And we've probably bought more than any other competitor in the market. So I don't think that's correct. But, you know, and we will continue to reflect the international market. That is where the international market is today. Why not offer prices, say, 5 to $10 above the market. So if growers miss out, they can then go to another trader and not feel like they've missed out on so much day after day on those CBH prices that some are calling unicorn prices. Yeah, there's lots of talk about what it is, but I don't think growers in the main would be happy with us reducing our prices by 20 or $30 and in increasing our margins and our profitability when we can actually give that back to growers. Can you approve and assure growers that people or individuals or businesses aren't using software, those internet bots, which is against CBH's terms and conditions, to secure these contracts in just a matter of seconds? Look, we are very closely monitoring the situation and we've been monitoring it ever since we've started. And in fact, we monitor it every year. Where we have suspected unusual activity, we have taken some action. Like what? This has resulted, we have taken action and we've resulted in some suspensions while we have investigated. But to date, and I want to be clear with this, to date we have not seen any evidence of bots being used. And you're sure about so, that? You've thoroughly looked well, into it? Well, where we have investigated and where there has been concerns from our monitoring, we have investigated those uh, particular people and to date we haven't seen any bots being used. What we have seen is some very good IT setups, we have seen some good internet connections and in fact some very, very good users. The other part of this strategy is that it's creating a, a sort of loss of work efficiency because farmers are downing tools every day, you know, heading off to spend sort of an hour clicking away trying to secure a contract, a, a lot of them unsuccessfully. How is this an efficient system when this is a daily reality for many farm businesses? Yeah, we understand that frustration and clearly, you know, as people are well into harvest now and they have to stop and they have to get off their headers, we absolutely understand that there is some frustration in that. Uh, we are looking at other alternatives and there's some of the things we may look at going into the future. It's a little bit premature to, to bring them on radio today. But I think from that perspective, we will continue to work with growers to try and minimise the impact to them. So you agree it is inequitable? I don't think it's inequitable. I think there is ways that we can improve the system to assist our members and we will continue to do that. And you've hinted at some changes there. You're not going to announce them today, but when? What sort of time frame? Oh, look, we may have, we're investigating all different ideas um, and we get a lot of feedback from our members and we're looking constantly at what we can and can't do and we'll continue to do that over the coming weeks to try and assist growers, particularly as they're you know, in the peak of harvest. How much of this cash pricing saga is it sort of distracting CBH or tying up resources that could be better used to 
uh, you know, put attention and move this big crop? Well, I think, yeah, it obviously does take resources and, you know, we're getting a lot of phone calls. Um, but I think, you know, the marketing and trading division is separated from the operations division and operations is clearly focused on moving this big crop. Certainly the crop, as I said before, does exceed the uh, or is forecast to exceed the shipping capacity and, and operations are really focused on how they can improve on that and I think they will continue to do that. Do you think it's time to, and this again sort of hinting at something you might be looking at, but is it time to move away from load net? Uh, you know, because in a lot of cases it doesn't seem to be creating a level playing field. It seems to be favouring those with the very high speed internet lines and are by the sound of that, you'd have to be in the city to really be a winner on a daily basis. Oh, look, we're seeing lots of growers uh, getting contracts as well, but there are you know, some growers that have clearly been missing out because of their internet connection. That is only one aspect of it. You know, obviously, it can also be the computer you're using. Um, you know, in some cases, it may be the user, but you know, we do need to continue to look at how we can, I guess, uh, evenly distribute the contracts, and that's something we need to focus on. Uh, LoadNet has been important. It's been in a very efficient uh, mechanism for contracting over many years. Um, this year, obviously, it has disadvantaged some growers. I think that's fair to say. But, um, you know, in the main, it has been a very good system, and I think growers would agree with that, with the exception of this year where there's been some frustrations. All right, Jason, good to talk to you. Thank you for the update. Thanks very much, Belinda. Jason Craig, he is the Chief Marketing and Trading Officer with the CBH Group. It is six minutes to one. Well, the latest analysis from Rabobank has grain prices remaining steady or even dipping a little bit in the short term. Not the best news if you're sitting on the head of this afternoon getting the crop off. To track the ups and downs of the prices this season, here's Dennis Vosnesensky. We've come off the highs that we saw, for example, earlier this year, so around June, May, where we saw track prices around the country go to $500 per tonne. They've come down from that. Uh, they're around $450, $460. We, we saw them dip even below that, but then when all the rain started, this is APW, when all the rain started, those prices shot back up because everyone was concerned, okay, where do we get all of our milling wheat from? All these rains are causing all these significant downgrades uh, of wheat, which are higher grades, into feed. There is a lot of grade, grain going into the market that is feed wheat at the moment. What are those prices doing? So it's varied between around $60 to $100 per tonne below APW. And how big that spread is will be determined by once all these rains stop on the East Coast, they're going to finally figure out once that grain moves to the bulk handling system, how much of it is feed. And if it's more than expected, it wouldn't be a surprise to see that spread of $100 per tonne stick around for a while. If it's less than expected, then that spread will close down and APW will have no reason to stay as high as we are at the moment. And then you take a further step back and you say, where are we with prices right now overall? And looking into the very near term, where could we be? Because this is harvest and farmers are making decisions. Well, Usually what happens is you harvest at different times on the East Coast and that grain gradually makes it way, makes its way into the bulk handling system. But because of all the significant rains, everyone had to stop harvest or wasn't able to start. And now if it finally stops raining on most of the East Coast, and we hope it does, but the challenge is going to be all that harvest is going to start at very similar times and all that grain is going to start making its way towards a slightly full bulk handling system from even last year. And in my mind, that means at least a cap on prices going higher. In most, in most likely, it's going to be 
possibly a slight depression in prices. When we're talking slight depression, can you give me sort of a, a ballpark figure? How much could it go down? Well, we're expecting high 300s to low 400s for APW1 uh, wheat. And if we look at, for example, feed barley, low to mid uh, 300s per tonne. This is all track pricing. Well, this won't be on the West Coast, but there will be free in store, the, the, the equivalent. Um, and for sorghum, well, if you're comparing it to feed barley, because it's all going to go into feed rations, probably around that same low to mid uh, 300s per tonne. That is Rabobank Agriculture analyst, I should say, Dennis Vosnesensky, and he was speaking to Alice Marshall. It is three minutes to one. It is time to find out what has happened at the Mount Barker cattle market today. Tracy Kilner is there. And Tracy, did the market finish? Where are we up to? It just finished now, so we'll just do an interim sale. Um, we had a quality lineup of wiener cattle, dominated the numbers. The light steers reached 618 cents. An outstanding lineup of bullocks weighing over 600 kilos were on offer, topping at 3.76 cents a kilo. Demand for the heavy bulls and cows remained equal to last week, with the prices reflecting. The wiener steers sold from 5.20 to 6.18 cents. Medium weights returned 4.38 to 5.70 cents, and the heavy weights made 4.60 to 530 cents a kilo. Wiener heifers returned 3.74 to 4.68 cents for light and medium weights, while the heavy calves sold for 412 to 4.24 cents a kilo. Yearling steers. Sold Sold from 420 to 504 cents, and the yearling heifers made 300 to 404 cents quality dependent. Grind steers weighing over 500 kilos sold for 390 to 460 cents. Heavier weights returned 376 to 428 cents, and bullocks over 600 kilos sold for 337 to 376 cents a kilo. The grind heifers weighing under 540 kilos made from 350 to 394 cents, and the heavier weights sold for 362 cents a kilo. Heavy prime cows made from 200 to 260 cents. Store cows from 150 to 220 cents. The lightweight bullies sold from 180 to 570 cents. And heavy bulls made from 198 to 224 cents a kilo. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you for going through all those details. It's about a minute and a half to one. And as you just heard from... Jason Craig from the CBH Group. It's making a few changes to grower contracts to try and make the system more equitable, ensure you all have a chance to get a contract. This on the text, after four weeks trying for contracts, I've given up with no luck and won't be supporting CBH marketing. CBH has created a selling frenzy. A full inquiry needs to happen within the whole grain industry. Australian cheap grain. This from Ray... CBH Grains is simply not up to the task of marketing the WA grain crop. To blame the lack of computer access is a very shallow excuse. Uh, Michelle says more CBH spin. They do not care about the farmers, says Michelle in Zone 4. And Lindsay is saying, so if the farmer's not top tech savvy or has slow internet connectivity, we miss out on contracts. I think the main issue is other marketers are waiting like vultures on the sidelines. If the farmers got together and decided not to sell below the CBH price, we might lift the overall prices, says Lindsay. Uh, Heaps of those texts coming through about the state of the roads and the CBH contracts. Thank you for all those contributions today. It's been great to hear from you. It is time for the news. It is now one o'clock.